we have four values in this class, and I just want to recast them every month. One is Bible study that just doesn't inform but transforms. Uh, uh, prayer support that you have around your tables that you can have people be praying for you. Uh, outreach, uh, trying to do some outreach, uh, helping others and be involved in ministry. With others. And, the, and the other one is friendship. And I thought a better way than me just talking about that, I've got a couple of people here, where are they? I'm, I'm missing them. To come up and share real quickly about how that being in this class has helped them develop friendships. So Amy Bertelson's going to come up here and uh, talk for a minute. And they are, hey, y'all smile at them, okay? <clears throat> okay? They're a little nervous. <clears throat> I don't know why, but because these are really good people here, generally. <clears throat> you know, here, here we go. I'm going to. Well, I was thinking, oh. My name is Amy Burleson, and my Doug is Doug. I mean, my husband is Doug. See, I, I told Cliff this is not a good idea. But, um, and I was thinking on the way here that Cliff is not my friend. Um, <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, uh, we um, have been, Doug told me that, we have been going, coming to this class for almost two and a half years, which I cannot believe it's been that long. Um, and we often sit in the back, um, at the table in the back. And so we have gotten to know the people that sit our, at our table. And it's always, um, we always look forward to coming and seeing if they're going to be here and um, seeing how they're doing and what's going on in their life. And we've been able to pray about some different things going on and help with some different situations, be a part of that. And, and that, um, that's exciting to be connected to that. Um, but we also came from a Sunday school class that was about 50 people. And so we knew everyone in the class really well. And, and that was neat. And those were all of our friends um, for a really long time. But our season of life changed and things have changed. And we started coming here and as you all know, with the class this size, it is very um, challenging to get to know people on a deeper level. Um, so you do have to be intentional about it. And um, so we decided to sign up for the Dinner for Eight. And um, that's why I have my two new friends here with me today, because I said I won't go up there unless they come up there with me. And so... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so they are good friends for coming up here with me. But I never would have gotten to know them. Um, and we've only had two dinners. And, you know, there's something about having dinner in someone's home. I never would have gotten to know them, you know, like I have if, if we hadn't have signed up for that. And um, I was rehearsing on the way here with my 13-year-old. <laughs> and I was just thinking about something that um, your husband said, that Brian, where's Brian? Hi, Brian. Um, that he said um, that really struck with me and he because it's easy for Doug and I both to take for granted um, we've lived here our entire lives we have a lot of family around and um, Doug's been at crossings for 20 years and I've been here for 18 so it's really easy to get really comfortable um, and not feeling like you really need any more friends or you know um, things like that but Brian is new to Oklahoma and he said you know it's really hard to make friends and so, um, because everyone's so busy, you know, with our lives, and we go to work all day, and we're tired at night, do we, you know? So, um, that just really, that was actually a blessing um, for you to say that, because it just goes to show how important these friendships really are. So. Your friends want to say anything? No, we're the backup. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, yeah. Another thought that I had was, you know, it's never... 
I have never regretted investing in a healthy friendship. You know, it's it's always a blessing. It's always a blessing to me. So they're going to be friends for a long time. Sorry. <laughs> well, thank you, Amy and Vicki and Annette. And uh, it's been great to see the friendship life. And we really are about that. I, I want you to know, every month we're going to talk about one of our values. Somebody's going to share how one of those values has actually contributed to their life. And so if you feel like, hey, I'd like to make some friends, talk to me, talk to Beth, talk to Vicki. Our dinner for eight is one way to do that. Or just go up to someone and say, hey, you're going to be my friend. <laughs> hey, I'm not kidding you now. <clears throat> you know what? When I was in seminary years ago, I, I left a church, and I went to the, a church that my dad pastored. And he was the pastor, and so everybody knew I was the pastor's son, so they, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and avoided me. And... Uh, uh, I remember saying to Becky one time, I was really uh, sort of lonely and needed some friendships. And we were in the foyer, what do they call that thing out in the front nowadays, at the church. And I looked at a guy and I said, you know, I've seen this guy at church a couple of times. His name is Roger. He's going to be my friend. You know what? He was. I made him be my friend. He was one of the dearest, now listen, he was one of the dearest friends I've ever made in my life while I was in graduate school. Sometimes it just takes some initiation to spend some time with someone. So anyway, we're, we're excited about that. Thanks again, Vicki and, and Amy and Annette. Well, welcome. Uh, we're in John chapter 11. Turn the page. <clears throat> I know. <clears throat> we're going to be looking at a, 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 a story here that uh, gives us some insights, if you will, into these conversations with Jesus that he has with people and in situations. And John 11 is a fairly uh, uh, famous uh, event, and I will not get through it all today, uh, <clears throat> some of it, uh, as this uh, event or this story of Jesus actually raising somebody from the dead. Uh, and there is a couple of words. I want you to look here with me, if we will, in, in John chapter 11. Uh, and I'm going to uh, note a couple things, and we'll get to it. In John chapter 11, these words at verse 1 begin, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of, Mary and the, sis the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now that's just kind of interesting. I will just make a note there that this statement here is yet to happen. That happens in chapter 13. It's just kind of interesting that John sees the need to record this is the one that you'll meet in chapter 13. Just, just interesting. Uh, so the sisters sent word to Jesus uh, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end or result in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed two days longer. That seems a little interesting, doesn't it, there? We'll, 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 we'll work on that. Uh, longer in place he was. Then after, he was uh, then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going again? And he answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Then he said, and after he had said this, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so I may awaken him out of sleep. 
The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of death, but they thought that they were speaking of a literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now I'm going to stop right there because I think there's several things here about this conversation that I want to look at. And I think there are insights into Jesus' love. If you'll notice the word love, the one Jesus loved is found in verse 3. Uh, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister life. And verse 5, and we're going to look through this, that there seems to be uh, some uh, insight or something here I want to uh, talk about that is related uh, to Jesus' is love. And I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of, kind of walk us through this into insights. Now, you know, insight is usually the result of experience and knowledge and learning uh, all coming together, right? Insight is when you not just have seen something, but, but you have some understanding about it. And so I want to, I want to kind of look at that uh, in terms of insight. The first thing I see uh, in this passage, if you are follow along with it, is Jesus' love is for individuals. Jesus' love is for individuals. Um, as I'm working through this and reading through this, I'm, again, here's an insight, I think, about, about Jesus' love. Is it says that his sisters uh, had sent word about this certain man. Notice that in verse 1. There was a certain man. This isn't mankind in general. This is a single person here. There was a certain man who was sick. And Mary and Martha send the word that the one that you love is sick. And you know, it caught my attention uh, uh, from this standpoint that Jesus here demonstrates some love, if you will, to an individual certain person. Now that may not speak a lot to you. It, to me it says, though, is I have this tendency just to think that God loves the world. He does, you know, that God is, Jesus loves the world and He's concerned about the world. But I often find when I talk to people that they're very ready to say, yeah, I know Jesus loves others and you, but... I'm not so sure he loves me. Have you ever noticed that with people? You've done that? That, that the idea that, that Jesus may love everybody, but does he love me? A certain person. I know what's going on over here. Here we go. That's wonderful. <clears throat> this is, okay. Uh, but, but this idea of, of, of a certain person, that he said, Lord, the one that you love, the, the one he whom you love is sick. You know, I think, again, we think of Jesus with the crowds and we tend to think of him with groups and multitudes. But here is an insight in this conversation about some people, some individuals that Jesus really loved. It seems that that love for him is interesting. I notice, if you do here in the passage, that these ladies never say, now Jesus, would you come? Do you notice that? They never ask anything of him. They never say, now would you come? And he's sick. They simply make known to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. I find that kind of fascinating. <clears throat> I kind of find that, that, that these people know Jesus' love for themselves individually to the extent that they must not feel the need to say, hey, Lazarus is sick, would you come? That's not in the text. They just say, Lazarus is sick. And the one that they know that Jesus loves is in this situation here. Uh, th this idea of loving individuals. When I think of this, I always think of this cartoon. I think I've got it here. <clears throat> you ever seen this one? <clears throat> it says, you, are, you, a doctor? Ha, that's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. 
Look what Alana says. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> right? Isn't that the truth? You know, it's one thing to have this magnanimous sense of loving mankind and caring for the poor and concerned about the disenfranchised and concerned about those who are on the margins. It's another thing to deal with one of them. <laughs> right? It's another thing to deal with one of them. To where you say, here's a person that's disenfranchised or poor or they're sick and they need soup or they need help. That's another thing and that's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? That Jesus loved individuals. It wasn't just the crowds. It wasn't just a group. I remember when I was a pastor. You know, we, we tend to, as pastors when I was, we count nickels and noses. Right? You know what that is? Offerings and attendance. <laughs> you know, you're kind of concerned. And, you, and sometimes if you're not careful, you'll think, oh man, we had a, a large crowd today or we had a lot of people today to say, but yeah, but were there any individuals there? Did you notice anybody? Did you see anybody? Did you, did you care for anyone? Or was it just another mass of humanity? I'm, I'm always reminded of this, that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and Martha. See that verse 5? He loved them. These weren't just some group. This wasn't just some, if you will, a, a, a mass of humanity. And that's the challenge for me and for you, isn't it? To love individuals. To not just love people. I'd say, sometimes people say, man, I just love going to crossings. I say, you love all those people? <laughs> well, you had met all of them. But do you love those people? I love it there. I love it there. It's great. But the idea of loving people up close, kind of a little bit what Amy said, that you can come into a class, you can be in a place, and you can just be around a mass of people and love it, but not have the opportunity to experience love and give love back and forth to them. So I, I just, to me, this is something, if you will, uh, that's fascinating to me. Uh, I, I've told you all this story before. I'll tell you again. When I was working on my doctorate, uh, I was involved in a process of writing a paper. Remember this? Writing a paper uh, about ministry. Really about the uh, uh, ecclesiastical, this is a, ecclesiastical basis for all ministry practices. I should have got an A for that title, right? <laughs> The ecclesiastical practices of, of the practices of ministry. So I'm really digging in. <clears throat> I'm still teaching full time at the school, and I'm, I'm working hard, and I'm trying to do this on the side, and I'm working on a Saturday morning, and I'm typing away. And man, I'm it is good. It sounded good. I'm going. Ooh, I didn't know you were that good, Cliff. You know. <clears throat> and I'm <clears throat> I'm writing along, and Becky starts asking me a couple questions, and she said, "Hey, Cliff." And I said, uh, "Beck, hold it. I'm right in the middle of a thought. Please, just give me a minute." And I keep working, and she comes back a couple minutes later, and she asks, I said, stop, stop, look, I, I'm right, I'm, I'm in the zone right now, please, leave me alone, let me write this. And she comes up a third or fourth, third or fourth time, and I literally did this, hey, would you stop bothering me, I'm writing a paper on love. <laughs> that actually happened. I mean, that actually happened. Some of you that have been around here know that. What? When that got out of my mouth, I went, oh boy. <clears throat> it's a lot easier to write about love, isn't it, than love? It's a lot easier to deal with masses of people than it is the people right across the table from you in the breakfast room. 
or it's easier to love the masses of people who, who are hurting and like that until you run into one. And it's going to take time and effort. I'm amazed at this with Jesus. I, I, you know, he, comes to love the, he loves the world and He comes to serve everyone. But He had this special relationship with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And the best way to describe it was He loved them as individuals. I will tell you this in, in my view, in my judgment. Something happens when we understand that God loves us personally. Not just in the individual mass of humanity. And I can tell you in my own life, that was a journey. That was a bridge pretty far for me. And growing up in the church and feeling like I had to perform and had to do certain things. To be able to come to the point that I could say, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Now, I don't know how that works for you. Not, you know, I'm, I'm not just talking about emotion and, and feeling. I've told you before, you know, I kind of grew up in a church where uh, we used to sing a song around here every once in a while called, I Am a Friend of God. You remember that? Yeah, first time I sang it, I leaned over to Ken Smith and I said, let me give you the lyrics to my church. I am afraid of God. I am afraid of God. I am afraid of God. I am afraid. <clears throat> None of this friend of God stuff, you know. You know, I, I, you know, I was kind of in that mass. I, I, I kind of like, I haven't done a lot of hunting, but except at the mall. But, uh, you know, I, I know I was kind of like one of those wounded deer that kind of got in the middle of the pack when I had at church so God couldn't, you know, see me. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really have a sense that Jesus loved me. This I know. And, and I see here this, this extraordinary man. This God-man. We're going we're to see in this story eventually both His divinity and His humanity. He is divine. You can't raise people from the dead if you're not. But His humanity. His love for people. This is not just sentimentality. This isn't just... This, this is a real-time kind of love. I'm also interested here... You know, you say this this way, look, and you say, well, Cliff, you're reading too much into this. And I say, well, that's... You know, you have to do that to remain a theologian and have a job. So, you know... You just have to do some of that. I just in reflecting on it, I kept thinking. Uh, you know, I looked at that and I thought, how many times it says here, "He who you love is sick." How many times do we, when something bad happens to us, we wonder if God still loves us? You ever do that? I mean, Jesus' love for Lazarus did not exclude him from this problem, illness. I mean, I've been a pastor for, for, for many years and worked with people. And the biggest question often when people face terrible trouble or terrible difficulty or terrible illness is, you know, is God mad at me? Where do we get that idea? But, 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 the, but the notion that even with being loved by Jesus, you're not going to escape problems. You're not going to escape suffering. You're not gonna, it's, not, it's not a hatch of getting out. It's not, a, it's not a, an issue of, of okay, now that I, Jesus loves me, everything's going to be great. Again, when I was in seminary, a guy named David was in my class. <laughs> we were taking a class on prayer, figuring it all out, you know. And David had a brain tumor. <clears throat> He's a wonderful guy, gentle and kind. 
David was in our class and we knew he was ill, but he would come to class when he could. He had led his own mother and father to Jesus, had baptized him in Lake Michigan and had had this uh, incredible experience. And he is probably, without a doubt, uh, one of the most incredible human beings I ever met. Because in the midst of all of his suffering and illness, he never questioned the love of God for him. I, 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 I'm telling you, it, it was an amazing, it's one of those formative things in seminary for me. Here we are talking and yammering, writing papers about prayer and trying to get our way. God heal him, make him well, do this. David never got frantic like that. David, David never ever got to the point where he was trying to put God in a bind and why would you do this to me and why don't you love me? It was formative because he died in that semester. And his funeral, ironically, or you call it what God set us up, was the hour of our final. The hour of our final was David's funeral. And I remember Dr. Harper talking with us and sitting with us and saying, this is the real final, if you will, of having to go through this kind of sorrow and difficulty and believing that God still loves us and He still answers prayer. I won't forget that final. I've forgotten a thousand finals I've ever taken. I won't forget that final that on that day to be able to say, I know that God loves me, that He loves David, that the fact of illness and difficulty and trouble is not an indication that Jesus doesn't love you. I don't know how people go through ser serious illness who have a serious illness and have to deal with that as well. I don't know how they do it. I'm serious. I don't know how. The, the, the notion of that, that Jesus loves him, he's still sick. So I, I want to ask you this week to consider this as, a, as an application for you. When you're getting ready in the morning and in the mirror, you know, you're looking there going, who is that? And, uh, you know, look at yourself and recite these words Jesus loves me. This I Say it again to yourself. Say it over and over again. But when you get up in the morning and you face the day and you're getting ready and you can see yourself, that, so look at that person right there and say, you know what? If you don't want to say, say, Jesus loves that person right there. He loves that person. He knows me. He loves me. This I know. Now, let's move on here because there's a second thing here that, 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 that fascinates me. The second thing here I see in this event is that Jesus' love is disciplined. That's a strange word maybe to use with that, with that idea. But, but notice, if you will, when he heard this, Jesus said this sickness is not to death, but that the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Now he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. Now, this is a little troubling, if you will, or, or, or something. Note in the text, no request is made, just information. And when Jesus hears it, he waits. Now, I want to look at that from this, from this idea, this, this notion. He says, this sickness is not to death. Now, it looks like that might be a contradiction uh, because he does die. I think, though, that the import of this uh, preposition here. So the word pros means really to come to a final conclusion. 
So in other words, this sickness is not going to finally conclude in death because I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's not going to end up there. It, it means the idea of the conclusion, that, that preposition there of leaving that. Now, that, you could discuss that and talk about that if you want to. But I want to, I want to look at what he did. He, he didn't respond immediately. It actually says there he stayed two more days. So we've got three days. We'll understand at the end uh, that, it was, that it was actually uh, four days. You know, it's interesting, uh, when, I, when I read that, something uh, came to my mind that I remembered uh, at, that po- at that point, that in Jewish thinking, uh, there is some uh, a discussion here, but in the Jewish thinking, a person is not dead until they've been, in the, until they've been dead three days. There is some teaching and understanding that the soul of the person, ha- terrible way to say this, <laughs> hangs around. <laughs> kind of hangs around, stays around. Uh, this is why they bury them on the same day, quickly. And the idea or the notion is that a, you can check this in rabbinical teaching, that a person isn't really dead until they've been dead three days. Isn't that interesting? There was somebody else about this, right? Remember remember him? <laughs> we, we were celebrating him last week, remember? I'm just, this would be the time to say the name. Jesus. Good, see. Not all answers are, but in that case. In that case. There, there, is the, there is the idea here in, in Jewish teaching and rabbinical thought that you're not dead until three days. Now, Jesus, you know, because he loves him, because he loves Mary and Martha, what generally do we think would be the first thing that a person would do if you hear somebody's in trouble that you love, you just get in your car and go. You know, I can remember some times when I had some family or something like that that I cared about and found about. You didn't ask questions. You just got in the car and left. Jesus seems very disciplined here. He's waiting. He says, he heard it. I love him. I'm going to wait two more days. That seems to me, if you will, one of those sort of times in a person's life that, that Jesus' love for lack of a better word, is this, that Jesus will not just respond to what we want. You found that out? <laughs> I've had a few, few discussions with him about that. You know, if I were you, I would think this is a great opportunity for you right here. Have you seen this? Have you noticed this? I'm serious. I, I remember when, when, when Roy Townsend was dying, Marty's father-in-law, who's an elder, and I remember sitting there and saying, hey, hey, not out loud in an elder meeting, because, you know, then... Then they'd know I'm a nut. But uh, I can remember saying to God, hey, 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 have you noticed this? Do you know what ha- would happen if you would do what we're telling you to do? This place would go crazy. Er. <laughs> See, Jesus' love is disciplined. He doesn't just react. He, he, he responds. We'll see that. But he doesn't just react. He waits two more days. In in, in some sense, if you will, there is this determination, I think, to really do something for Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he can't do if he goes now. What he would do is heal him, make him well. They've seen that happen a lot. Not this time. This guy is dead. When we get to the latter part of this, you know, around uh, 4th of July. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to do that. We're going to do two weeks in this. That's it. Two weeks, that's all. 
you know, Martha says when Jesus goes to the tomb, when he says, she said, Lord, he, he, King James does a really good job. He, he stinketh. <laughs> Been there four days. You know, this, this idea of Jesus not responding immediately to Lazarus' sickness, but Jesus' love is disciplined to do something greater. I, I, I remember reading this here, and I, hate, I really hate the thought in one sense. But it says this, that the atmosphere necessary for a miracle is trouble. You know, we throw that word miracle around all the time. And it, you know, miracle, I found a parking plate. No, it's not. You just kept rounding the block eight times. You know? The atmosphere required for a miracle is trouble. I don't like that. What's happening here, the trouble is beginning to mount now. And this is going to be a miracle. This is going to be something that is undeniable. Lazarus will not be resuscitated. He won't just be uh, harm, uh, not harmed by, by getting sick, uh, sicker. He's going to be raised from the dead. Look at that. He stayed two more days. God's timetable doesn't seem to be consistent with mine. Or with yours, does it? We cry out to God and we ask for things and we seek Him. And I, and I think that's legitimate and very important. But I'm learning and have learned that sometimes Jesus' love is more disciplined than that. It's more the idea, Cliff, I know what you need and I know how to get it to you, but it's going to take longer than you imagined. It's going to take some time here. It's going to require some trust in me. So He waits. Now, let me, let me ask you to consider this. What if you and I were more patient and confident in our understanding of Jesus' love? How would that look in the way we pray and live each day? If we were more confident and more patient to believe that, that Jesus' love is disciplined, He's not going to react, He's not just going to jump in. He, he's going he's to be right on time. You know, I had in my notes here, I, I thought of this, you know, when, 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 when things happen too quickly, I, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, well, I'm a doctor, I'm just not one that can help you. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I was thinking about this, that sometimes we get things done too quickly. And by that result, it gets worse. Uh, I was reading the other day on online about Kevin Durant's injury. And uh, he's out, you know, if any of y'all are still awake in Oklahoma City. <laughs> he's out, <clears throat> he's out, he's not playing. He'd had an original surgery in October he rested for several games, and one of the writers was saying this, that because Russell Westbrook got hurt, that Durant, really caring for the team, decided he would come back sooner than he should. That injury, that Jones fracture, uh, wouldn't you love to have a, a, an injury named after you? Yeah. That, that, that injury, apparently, from the American Orthopedic Association that I went online to read, and everything online is true, so um, <laughs> everything. I went online, and they said he was down for about seven weeks. They said this really is a 12 to 16 week injury. But you know, he, he wanted to help the team. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy. But, but think about what happened by coming back too soon. Think about what happened by, by, not, by not waiting till the, till the right time. Could, could we think about that with Jesus, that, that sometimes we want him to act so quickly, and he just knows, look, if I act quicker than this, it's not going to be good. If I do something faster, like on your timetable, Cliff, it won't, it won't work as well. So, so the confidence, one, that Jesus loved individuals, 
and that his love is disciplined to bring us the very best that we need. It's something I have to live with. It's something I have to live with to say, God, your timing, your understanding of this is perfect. You're not holding out on me. You're not trying to make things difficult for me. Your, dis your love is just disciplined enough that it's going to wait until the right time for this to happen. Anybody got a witness of that? You had that happen in your life? You bet. So what about if we would be more patient? Then, then the third one. I'm going to get you out of here today. What happened here? This, uh, I love Mac. Not really. Here we go. Uh, the third, the th see there is Jesus loves, love has a purpose. Notice here, if you will, in verse 4, when Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but that the glory of God might be revealed, so that the Son of Man may be glorified. Now, what is that? that I, in verse 4, I've got the word, so that. So that's the purpose. That's the purpose. This happened so that this would occur. So that. And then down in verse 15, he said, I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there. So that, what? Verse 15, you may believe. Y'all are sounding like my students this morning. What does it say, huh? Uh, so that they believe. I, I, want, I want to look at that here just for a minute. Uh, this notion or this idea that the reason Jesus is operating this way is so that the Son of God might be glorified. The first one here is glory. Now, let me give you a real quick understanding of this. The Hebrew word kavod means heavy, substantive. My dad, my dad used to always say, that's why he had a few pounds on. He wanted to have glory. <laughs> that means heavy, substantive. Uh, <clears throat> he said, skinny people can't have glory. I said, well, okay. Uh, but it means heavy, substantive. Uh, it, the, the Greek word doxa is, is some of the similar. There's something significant here. But glory is generally or all, most often understood. I'm just going to boil it down for you. Is this. Is something that happens that one sees the wonder and miraculous power of God. You know, we say that sometimes about things like a building. That building is just glorious. We look at it, we recognize the beauty of it, the wonder of it. And we say that that thing is just glorious. It's wonderful. We see it. The same thing. When God's glory would ever come about in Israel, they always saw something. The shining, burning cloud. When He would enter the temple. So, so the glory here is something, if you will, that they will see with the Son of God. The Son of Man. <clears throat> His power, His greatness, His victory over death is this notion of this idea. It's something that can be seen and experienced and, and, and usually creates awe. And Jesus said, that's why I'm doing this. It's for the glory of God. When I read that again, I, I, I'm always thinking, okay, what does that mean? It means that Jesus' love was informed and guided and directed to always bring glory and honor to God. So people would see God operating in the world in a way that would bring Him honor and credit. That's not always the way I operate. A lot of times I operate because I want to have more ease or I want to have more comfort or I want to have more things. What, what about this idea of Jesus' love having the purpose to bring glory? I ask my students this. Often I'll say this. What if you decided that you were going to live your life not asking this question? Is it wrong? 
Should I do it? Should I not do it? <clears throat> is it, is it going to get me in trouble? Is it the right thing? <clears throat> is, I said, why, why don't you reframe it like this? Will this activity bring glory to God? Will this activity... I'm telling you, I think it would simplify our lives. If we would quit at, is it right, is it wrong? And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But, but when we live like that, we're trying sometimes to run the edges. Instead of saying, look, my purpose in life, my, my desire in life, is what Jesus is saying, is to bring glory to God. That's what he said. That it would bring glory to God so that the Son of Man may be glorified. When people see you living and me living, does it make much of God? Does it bring Him honor? Do people say, now there is a life that brings glory to God? Every morning in my phone that comes up that is my brain that has everything for me to do, tells me, oh, brush your teeth, you know, all those kind of things. I read every morning Philippians 2, 12 to 13. It says this, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do, His good pleasure. What, what, if, what if we live like that? That tomorrow morning when you get up and you say, you know what? The goal in my life today, the purpose in my life today is to bring glory to God and bring about His good pleasure. I'm just telling you, that is changing the way I approach my days. Instead of asking, is it right? Is it wrong? Is it sinful? Is it good? To say, does it bring glory to God? Now let me tell you what I think has happened here. I, <clears throat> I worked with my students this week here's the way I see it. You don't have to. When I began to live like that, I began to live like that to say, you know what, I really do believe that following Jesus is the right way to live. I was a little older than I want to admit. That I thought, you know what, to live to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It came to me this idea. <clears throat> see if it helps you. I think that when I first became a Christian, a hundred years ago, it seems like, that, that I, the only way I can explain it is that I was afraid of going to hell, I knew I'd been bad, and I didn't want to experience that. that that's not a bad idea, you know, just if you're wondering. It's not a bad idea. But I likened it to when I was in, the, when I was in high school, my last year in high school, I was eligible for the draft. I was number 76 in the draft, if y'all remember that. And they were going up to 150. So I had to get an education quick, go to college. And I remember thinking that the anxiety that I had about being drafted. And I thought, well, if you get drafted, you're going. Because if you don't go, what happens? You go to prison, right? And if you go to prison, it's going to be hard to find a job. Uh, you know, you may have to learn how to dance and, uh, you know, a lot of things. I've been off a week. That, that I didn't want to do that. I, I, my life would be wrecked a job. And I thought, you know what? I, I don't want to do that. And so I thought, well, I'll go. But if I would go, if, and I didn't get, if I would have gotten drafted, I would have gone saying, okay, look, this wasn't my idea. This wasn't my idea. But I'll go because the pain and struggle of not going is too much. Okay? Change that around now to a guy who volunteers who's a patriot, who says, I go because I love my country and I want to defend. 
I'm going to go because I believe this is the thing for me to do. And I raise my hand and swear my allegiance. And there is no hesitation anywhere in me. My dad told me when he got sworn in the Navy. Hobby Airport, Houston, Texas. He said when they told him, they said this. Now, boys, you're going to raise your hand in a minute. And you, if you don't mean this, you better get out now. Because once we get through with you, Uncle Sam owns you. My dad said there was a window right there and thought, huh, I wonder if I could get out that way. <laughs> Patriot doesn't do that. They raise their hand and they say, I'm here because I've chosen to be here. I'm here because I believe this is the right thing for me to do. We have an all-volunteer army now, you know. They're all patriots. Listen to me. Living for the glory of God is being a patriot. Living, trying to always cut the angles and find out where the line is, is living like you got drafted. You sure don't want to go to hell. You sure don't want to be involved in that. that that's pretty bad. But your life is still all about you. Your goals, your dreams, your desires. The Patriot says, my life is about serving my country and laying my life down. You see the difference? That's how Jesus lived. I think that's how we should live. It's to say that the key to living a life today is to do it for the glory of God. Nothing else, I think, will sustain you. I don't think you can be sustained in love to God and love to your neighbor. I don't think Jesus could be sustained if He just had some job to do. He was going to do it because nobody else would, and it ought to be done. He was sustained because He knew that what He was going to do was going to make much of God, and people would see the glory of God. Would that change the way you live? Would that change the way I live? God's glory. Jesus' love was directed and informed. So that we can say with Him, Lord, I'm doing this, I'm living my life to bring glory to you. Not to say, oh, well, you know, is that wrong? Is that right? Students will come to me sometimes and say, Cliff, can Christians do this? You know, the funny one is they say, you know, can Christians dance? Of course, I say some can and some can't. <coughs> Church I grew up in, yeah. And they'll say, can a Christian do this and still be a Christian? And I say, well, let me ask you a question. Are you asking me how far can you get away from Jesus and not step over the line? Is that what you want? Where's the line? Because I don't want to step over it, but I don't mind getting right up to it. Is that what you're asking me? Generally, they say, I withdraw my question. <laughs> right? Don't live like that. Don't, don't live like oughts and shoulds and betters and I have to. Man, what a... What a terrible existence. Well, I ought to do this, and I should do that, and I better do this. Instead of saying, you know, the reason I'm doing this is because this will bring glory to God. Here's Dix Greenlee's great statement. I love it. He said this, it will put a smile on God's face. Wouldn't you rather do that than just have this list of rules and oughts and shoulds and betters instead of saying, I'm about what Jesus was about. I want to bring glory to God and I want to put a smile on God's face. Everything I do, whatever television program I watch, even when I'm driving my car, this is really getting tough now. <laughs> the way I treat people, the way I spend my money, the way I use my influence, the question is, does it bring glory to God. Not is it right or wrong. Is it bringing glory to God? The second thing, real quick. I'm going to let you out of here, I promise. Eventually. The purpose of His love 
Notice what he says. I, I'm glad I wasn't there. Verse 15. He's died. I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe. You know, Jesus is within a few days of being crucified. Jesus is within a few days of going through this terrible passion and agony. And here again, love has a purpose. I want you to see this, the glory of God, and believe. You know, I, I hope that you understand, and I understand, that Jesus works in the lives of people, maybe not in your life, maybe not in my life, but other places, I think, to give us testimony to His life. and That's why it's so important to have friends and know people. When you talk to others and say what God has done in their life, you can say, I can see the hand of God all over that. Jesus says that this whole thing, this purpose, is that you may believe. Look back here, if you will. It's a phrase he, he said this, and I, and I want to leave it with this. Verse uh, Chapter 10. I know that putting fear in your heart that I'm back at chapter 10. But I will leave, I promise. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 37 38, If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. If I don't do the works, I'm not just talking about words here. I'm not just a word man. I'm a work guy. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works. You know, I think there's a place here for us to direct people to say, if you don't believe in him, look at the works he's done. Look at the work he's done in your life. Look at the work he's done in other people's lives. Look at the work that he's done in our community, other places, to say that you might believe. Now, I, I know, and I, I'm, I'm finished. I know, I know people have trouble with miracles. I want to give you a couple of books real quick. <clears throat> a guy named Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R, Craig Keener, has written a new book on miracles. <clears throat> it's a good read. It's pretty tough. I mean, it's going to take you some time. But I know there are people who say, well, you know, this is all just a bunch of hocus pocus. Uh, there's another book by Eric Metaxas that has just come out on miracles. Eric Metaxas, he's got the wrote Bonhoeffer and some other books. He's a brilliant guy. A couple of books to say, you know what? Maybe if I took these miracles seriously, I'd believe more. Now, I would start with Metaxas' book first and Keener's next. But some idea here of understanding that there is some evidentiary material to say these things really happen. They're not just some figment of imagination. They really happened. As crazy as that may sound, Spinoza, the great philosopher, said this, and I'm done. If it can be proven that Lazarus was raised from the dead, my entire system I will reject and follow Jesus. Spinoza, the great medieval philosopher, that said, if Lazarus was really raised from the dead, then I will reject my entire philosophical system and follow Jesus. How about you? Lazarus, come forth. Yes. I'll give it to you in a second. Let me pray. Okay, I'll give it. I'll give it it's a miracles. I'm sorry. Miracles. Something like why they happened. Or I, I don't, I've got them. Uh, oh my, I think I got my Kindle. I don't know. It's somewhere. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we hear about your love a lot. Uh, we're thankful for it, but in this story, we see some things that both uh, encourage us and trouble us. Uh, we ask today that you would drive the truth 
of your love in our hearts, that we might see ourselves individually as people that you love, that we might be able to work through and have the patience to allow your love to be disciplined to come to us when it's needed. And lastly, of course, that we would live for your glory. I pray for my life for each person in this room and pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.